This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. everybody to the republic of football first show of 2022 first show in a couple weeks feels like a month might have been a month i don't even know i don't keep track uh thank you guys for listening welcome back to the show we are done with football as far as texas is concerned college football and high school football um i'm in the studio so is mike craven mike how are you doing man Doing pretty good. Happy to still be around in 2022. I didn't know <laughs> how never, that was going to go. You never really know. You know, the first six months on a job, kind of how, how that's going to turn around. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, well, this is kind of really where you make your money. You're trying to, now you don't have games to go to, so it's like, all right, well, what are you, what are you writing about, buddy? Well, what do you do here? <laughs> kind of, yeah, what are, you, what are you kind of figuring out what to do? I have to spend a lot more time in DFW now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I moved up here and then was never here. I was like, yeah, it's not too bad. You know? right. <laughs> now you're stuck here. Uh, of course, turning the knobs. Producer Mal Pal, Mallory, you've been very busy recently. Man, I have. I've basically taken uh, Pickle's spot. Pickle has taken Tepper's spot. Mm-hmm. So, man, we've been super busy pushing out good-ish content, <laughs> I guess. Ish, you could say ish. <laughs> yeah, Pretty great good, content, good. Good content. Uh, all week. So, yeah, I've been good, but yeah. busy. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, of course, Tepper and his wife had another beautiful baby boy we didn't he didn't get fired or anything uh, most, <laughs> most, mostly his wife had it. mostly his <laughs> wife yes yes right. he was he, just there he was there. Th- well, yes he was there he was he's he was like playing the he was the, the cheerleader part. right right he, he was, was like the yay good job you know um so yeah so that's why he's been out and that's why everybody's kind of been rearranged a little bit and mallory's been basically playing the five tool athlete out there so swiss army knife as they call it U- utility player <laughs> exactly exactly so athlete as we mentioned we're done with football on the field as far as Texas is concerned. Of course, we still have the national championship game. We're not going to review that because guess what? ESPN's been doing that basically since uh, whenever. Um, they, I was watching the uh, Fiesta Bowl with Notre Dame and Oklahoma State, and the whole halftime show was about the, <laughs> the championship playoff, which instead of the games that were going on at the time, which cool, I guess. So uh, that's all to say we're not going to review it. It's going to be a good game. I don't, you know, but that's about it. That's my take on it. Yeah. Um, Bama plus three. Probably so. Um, Probably. Anyway, we do have some bowl games that we we're gonna we're not gonna go through all of them because some of them were a week ago. You 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 know you're probably all tapped out. We're gonna touch on one of them, and Mallory's gonna give us our little small little recap right now. Now, of course, eight Texas teams were eligible for a bowl game. Uh, SMU versus Vir- uh, Virginia was canceled because of COVID. Texas A&M and Wake Forest was also canceled because of COVID. Um, but the first bowl game that was played, UTEP versus Fresno State. Fresno State ended up winning 31-24. to um, The next one that was played, UTSA versus San Diego. San Diego pulling out the win 38-24. to uh, in the second Frisco Bowl, North Texas falling to Miami, Ohio, 27-14. to uh, And the next one, Houston pulling out the win over SEC opponent Auburn, 17-13. to That one was pretty surprising. We'll probably talk just a little bit more about that, but that was a, that was a really good game to watch. Um, another shocker, Texas Tech not just edging. 
completely destroying Mississippi State 34-7 to in the Liberty Bowl. And then, of course, the one that was most impressive, Baylor edging out the win over Ole Miss 21-7. to I think that's where we're going to start here. We'll probably talk a little bit about most of them, uh, but the one that we want to definitely touch on is uh, Baylor versus Ole Miss. How about the state of Texas going 3-0 and against the SEC? Yeah, man. That is really impressive. That is awesome. <laughs> You'll love to see it. And the only losses were Conference USA. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually did not realize that until Two now. Of those teams that are going to be supposedly going on to bigger and better things, too. So yeah. I was at the UTSA and North Texas Frisco Bowl right. game. That's oh, a geez. great stadium to have yeah. a bowl game. Because no, it doesn't it feel empty. Right. Even if you have, you know, 10, 12,000, 15,000 people in there. Right. Uh, but, yeah, Conference USA, not a great showing. Yeah, no. no. Not bowl, at all. Um, we will talk more about the Texas Tech-Mississippi State one uh, later because we took questions because, you know, off season, like I mentioned, the bowl games happened so long ago that we're mm-hmm. not going to do a full show of that. So we asked for some questions. Some one of them was over Texas Tech, and I feel like that's a more appropriate time to address that yep. uh, game more specifically. But – Let's look a little bit at Baylor Ole Miss. So, as you mentioned, 21-7, Baylor won. Of course, the big story here was Matt Corral, who I did not expect to play, uh, no. was about to play. And on the first drive, second drive, I believe. It I was early. It was, it was very yeah. early. Um, obviously, goes down. Uh, they believe it it's, It was not. It will not require surgery. And he, was, I think uh, Lane Kiffin said the x-rays were negative, or his MRI was negative. So, that's a great great sign for his mm-hmm. uh, uh, NFL draft prospects. Um the whole game, you could tell, and I kind of, I was kind of annoyed by this. You could tell the entire broadcast was built around Matt Corral. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the fact the, that he would the play. Fact that, that he, he would did play, play. Yeah. exactly. Oh, look at the leadership. This is the way it uh-huh. should be done. Because once he was out, they had nothing to talk about. Nope. Nothing. It wasn't about how great this Baylor defense is. It wasn't really about the freshman quarterback that's right, stepping right. Like, in. I didn't know anything about Luke Altmaier, but they, apparently they didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it didn't really matter. <laughs> um, and so it was like, like it was such an uncomfortable broad in the first half specific, specifically. Second half, because obviously they had to talk about Baylor because they were winning, and so they had to kind of talk about Dave Aranda and kind of the turnaround he's made. But in the first half, it was very uncomfortable to listen to that broadcast because it was clearly just about Matt Corral. Mm-hmm. And so when he was out, they knew nothing about either of these teams. And I think you could say, okay, sure, yes, Baylor's defense shut down, somewhat shut down, kind of, uh, Luke Altmaier. Definitely in the first half they did. He looked kind of a deer in the headlights. Second half kind of got along when they needed some big plays. He made some throws, right? It was he wasn't it wasn't a, a complete demolishing, but of course we 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 talked about it in our buildup. Matt Corral was that offense this year, right? And it shows that when they didn't have that type of player, and he 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 got out of the pocket a couple times before he went out, and it was like oh, okay, this is gonna be a really good back and forth, kind of a chess match between these two sides of the ball, especially when Baylor's offense wasn't clicking in the passing game. And, you know, eventually the game kind of settled into what we thought it would be, which is Baylor shutting out this this offense without their best player. And then Baylor finally deciding to run the ball and just kind of put things into a grind. And it kind of really, to me, impressed me in the way that Baylor could take take kind of suffocate a game. And towards the end, I was just like, yeah, this is the this is a team that we should be remembering for a while, this defense specifically. But even just this, this the totality of this team and the running game able to kind of complement the, the the defense as well. Yeah, I mean, first 12-win season ever for Baylor. You know, won a Big 12 championship, won a Sugar Bowl. 
You know, after going two and seven last year, just yeah. an amazing job by Dave Aranda, Jeff Grimes, the defense, just, you know, a really good complimentary football. Abram Smith breaks a single season rushing record for them with 1,601 yards. Uh, that defense is incredible. Ter Terrell Bernard had 17 tackles. That was nuts. That he, was, yeah. he was absolutely everywhere. You know, Jalen Petrie didn't even play that well, mm -hmm. and that defense still held him to seven points. I, I The funniest part to me of that game is they did, like, one close-up shot of Jeff Levy mm -hmm. in the booth. And it just caught him saying an F, the F word, <laughs> and he's gonna be he's gonna be Oklahoma's offensive coordinator, <laughs> right. you know. Oh. So it was just like, it, like in my mind, it was just like, hey, Jeff Levy, how do you feel about going up against Dave Aranda's <laughs> right. defense like, for the next four years? <laughs> F word, you know. <laughs> uh, to win a bowl game, even without you know there with Matt Carell being injured, like you said, yeah. uh, to win a bowl game like that, only throwing the ball for forty yards is unbelievably impressive in the year 20 yeah, yeah in modern football in this economy to throw yeah. for 40 yards and win a sugar bowl is impressive with or without uh, the backup quarterback on the other side and for me i left that game obviously thinking that defense is all time right mm -hmm. i mean i don't know how you build a statue of 11 guys but they should figure out a way <laughs> right. uh, to do that but then also for me going forward who is the starting quarterback at baylor like sure. what I, I know Gary Bohannon was injured into the season. He probably wasn't even that healthy for the Sugar Bowl. Blake Shapin was out with a with an injury, so he went. What will that position look like next year? Abram Smith not gonna be back. So what you know, what kind of that looks like offensively, I, I think that's really the main concern for Baylor. But this season was incredible for the Bears, uh, best team in the state, and to finish it off with a Sugar Bowl win. Uh, was just fitting for that team. And, and Dave Aranda is my spirit animal with how he just, like, does not react. There's a picture online a great of, movie. like, him getting a Gatorade bath dumped on him, and he just has no expression. He looks like he's filing taxes. Right. Like, just <laughs> no ex no <laughs> expression. Yeah. And, uh, I, yeah, he's just, he did a, an amazing job. That turnaround from 2020 to 2021, one of the best I can think of in recent memory. It's kind of crazy to sit here and talk about how – Baylor finished as being the best team in the state. Oh, no doubt. Considering at the beginning, we, thought, we were yeah. like, oh, it's going to be Texas A&M, no mm -hmm. doubt. And then sure. just the turn that the season has taken with Baylor, it's incredible. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned Gary Bahannon. Like, that's going to be a question, right? Because, like, we thought there were – at the beginning of the year, it was like, oh, this guy is the probably, you know, the consistent, smooth, just kind of efficient – Game manager's a, a kind of a I don't wanna, I don't mean in a pejorative way, but he ran that system really well, right? He wasn't making mistakes. He was making the throws he needed to do. He was involved in the running game, and then it eventually I, I don't know if teams just started to figure him out or figure that what they were kind of doing with him. But then Blake Shapin comes in. And he's like, okay, that the offense did look a little bit better. And against Oklahoma, he has State, a he has a bigger upside. He has a bigger upside definitely. And against Oklahoma State, of course, Jim Knowles of course made adjustments in that game in the Big Twelve title game. But he looked, for that first half, the first quarter especially, he looked really good. And so, yeah, that is going to be a question heading in. Like, is is that ba position battle open? I probably argue it should be. Oh, um, it absolutely has to be. Yeah, I think so. And so I think that'll be something to watch. Um, that's something we'll definitely be keeping our eye on as we turn to magazine season towards the spring and towards the end of spring camp. Um, quick question. what is the What was the most impressive performance from you? So far in bowl season, uh, bowl season as, as a whole. We'll talk about it a little bit more, but it's Texas Tech beating yeah. Mike Leach because, you know, as much as we can talk about, like Houston beat Auburn, and that, that was an impressive, you know, but Bo Nix mm -hmm. wasn't there. Yeah. Um, 
I know we can have this argument over what bowls mean to certain teams, and I know everybody in SEC country likes to make the bowls that they lose not important. Right. But you know it was to Mike Leach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, God, there's, yeah. there's no way that Mike Leach wasn't motivated He's never getting the money to now. play <laughs> against Texas Tech. Right. right. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, even now, the comments now they should he made. send him the money. You know? Like, <laughs> I they, know. <laughs> I, I still think they should have awarded him with, like, a big check at halftime. Like, yeah. You know, or something like that. There you like go, that. buddy. Uh, but, yeah, no, to me it was absolutely Texas Tech because they're in the middle yeah. of a coaching change. Sonny Cumbie's on his way out to Louisiana Tech, the yeah. fact that he could keep that team together and playing hard and that focus while also happening to do another job, mm-hmm. I sa- I think says a lot about Sonny Cumbie and the character within that Texas Tech locker room. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was my pick too. Should we go ahead and start with questions? Let's do, Let's it. do it. All right, well, we'll go ahead. Since we just kind of ended that, we'll go ahead and ask one of the first questions. Did Texas Tech overperform in the bowl, and is the Tech fan base set up for a disappointment next year? I went into this bowl. I lost money on this bowl game. I'll just be up. I'll just be up front about it. Yeah. I went into this bowl game thinking, how will Texas Tech have the motivation to play this without McGuire being on the sideline yet? Uh-huh. Sonny Cumbie in his last interim game, and then they're playing against a guy who's owned, uh, in his mind at least, owed millions of dollars from Texas Tech. Yes, they're going to be geared up. They're going to play really well, and it looked like the opposite. Texas Tech was the team that showed up, caring about that bowl game and wanting yeah. to be there and playing hard. And Mississippi State looked lost. They they looked in. Mm-hmm. Offensively, defensively, um, just just a really bad performance by Mississippi State. So uh, I was, I, yeah, I, I think overperform is the right way to put that. I mm-hmm. mean, I, they were a ten and a half point underdog, I believe, and so yeah. they absolutely overperformed. But when you go back and you look at it, you can kind of see why. Like Texas Tech beat them up in the trenches. I was Texas say, Tech was ran the football, clinic, yeah. and they they stopped the run, right? And they made Mississippi State one-dimensional. A lot of times Mike Leach doesn't care about that, but you saw the limitations of a Mike Leach offense in that game. Mm-hmm. If your quarterback is not on, it can go awry really quickly, and your defense is going to be weak and get beat up on. And Texas Tech absolutely did that and I think we start we started to see the blueprint of what Texas Tech wants to be moving forward if it can be that on a consistent basis I have no idea but we saw the identity that McGuire and that staff want this team to be and that's that's tough it was a tough football team and uh, just a really impressive performance yeah I, I I don't think it sets them up for disappointment because one yes I think they overperformed but I think where the difference between what they're expecting from Joey McGuire versus uh, Matt Wells, I think expectations are roughly, in my opinion, the same in this way. Nobody's expecting was expecting Matt Wells to come in and win ten games, mm-hmm. right? Even probably eight or nine. I don't think anybody's expecting that in the first year from Joey McGuire. The difference is there's a momentum outside of that with Joey McGuire, right? With Matt Wells, it was like, I don't know what this guy is really doing. You know, I, I'm not really seeing the recruiting momentum. I don't know who he is. I don't know what his plan is. With McGuire, it's like, okay, they probably will win, like, you know, six, seven games uh, next year. But you will see, you see the recruiting momentum now. You see the energy behind the program. You see, I think that's the difference. So I don't think that they're setting themselves up for disappointment as opposed to ginning up excitement just for the program again, right? I'm not they're not gonna come out and be a ten win team immediately. But mm-hmm. this is gonna be a team that, okay, a couple years down the line you can maybe have that expectation. Under Matt Wells, it was like, I don't know, maybe we can win seven, eight games two years, three years from now, right? And under under Joey McGuire, you're hoping, okay, maybe we can get a ten win season two, three years down the line. Who knows, right? If the schedule breaks right for you. So yeah. I know it's impossible to ask fans to keep perspective. I know, but right? like <laughs> 
I if you're disappointed after next season, that's on you right. as a fan for having ridiculous expectations. Right. Like this team should be seven and five, eight and four. He is still but, a first year head coach right. for, in college. Right. And like you said, it's it's about positioning yourself when Texas and Oklahoma leave, mm-hmm. that's when Texas Tech needs to be in the position to really win the conference. Not only because Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, but that will be year two, year three under McGuire, and you'll start to see that high school recruiting pay off. They're not going to go to the transfer portal as hard as as Wells did, Mm -hmm. and so it's going to take a couple years to develop those guys. I would say if you're a Texas Tech fan, just hold expectations for a year, enjoy the transition, and then once 2022, 2020, or 2023, 2024 come around, then you start looking on on-field product and if that's improved. And it's early projections for 23, but let's put it this way. It shows how early they're hitting the cycle because they're first in the Big 12 right now and they're mm-hmm. seventh in the country. That's not going to hold, obviously, but with 2023, it shows that they're getting guys early because they need to, one, but also shows that they're eager to, right? Mm-hmm. Isaiah Crawford's a guy in the po- uh, uh, in post, post-Texas. He's probably not decommitting from Tech. He's right there, close to home, right? And so it's about getting energized early so what, so that when guys maybe start to decommit later on, you're not left with nothing, right? You're left with a solid class still later on. And that's <laughs> the advantage of hiring a McGuire is coaches around the state are going to give him a heads up on young guys mm-hmm. in, within their program. I'm like, hey, you need to offer this guy now because in a year it'll be too late. Yes. And he's listening to that. He trusts those coaches. Those coaches trust him. And that's where the momentum is going to be built on. But this next football season, I mean, it's still, like you said, it's a first-year head coach. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some Mm -hmm. learning experiences. There's probably going to be some frustrations. Uh, But off the field, Texas Tech is being discussed in a way that it hasn't been since Cliff Kingsbury was there probably. Mm -hmm. And so that's a good thing for the Red Raiders. And they're just got to – I caution just hold perspective. Yeah. Just keep it, you know, and then, you know, it'll it'll figure it itself out in a couple of years. Cool. We'll move off of the Texas Tech train and transition into another game. Will Jeff Trailer and UTSA hit a plateau or are they just gonna keep getting better? I don't know where you can get better. Yeah. Right? Like you win, win a bowl game? Like yeah, yeah like I that's mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean that's really <laughs> it. You can go win a bowl but like winning a conference is more important than winning Absolutely. A, bowl, a bowl game, right? And like mm-hmm. I, I just think that's the ceiling for UTSA right now. Maybe that changes in five or ten years as they're in the American for a while, the money picks up, the donor base gets different. I don't know. But like right now, you can't expect them to go be Cincinnati. Sure. And that really would be the only step forward in that evolution, right? So Right now, it's about keeping a consistency. And if you hit a plateau at 10 wins a year and competing for conference championships, give me that plateau right. all uh-huh. day. Uh-huh. I just don't know if the ceiling can get much higher than 12-2. and two. Like, that's at, at a G5 program, a mid-major in football, right? That's, that's all you can do to be in national discussions, to kind of be the darling underdog. And then maybe in a few years, you get a couple star players and you can go challenge for something more than that. But yeah, I mean, give me that plateau all day if it's 12 and two in a conference USA championship. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that next year it wouldn't shock, you know, of course, I don't, I don't mean like next year will be a disappointment because like, again, anything less than this year is going to feel like a disappointment, but like, that's not the point. I think next year they could take a step back. They're losing their best player on offense, right? And you're probably, I mean, according to rumors, you know, you're probably losing your offensive coordinator, uh, Barry Lenny, to Illinois. So you might have a promotion from within. The things might not click exactly the way you think they should. Who knows what, you know, it's, it's, and then, of course, that's not even to say at that point, you're kind of siphoning out the Frank Wilson players, right? Who were really great athletes and great players who needed probably just some structure, better structure. And now you're, I think next year and the year after is going to officially be, the Jeff Trailer vision, right? Which is the 
I think we've talked about it before. He's not necessarily going to go get four-star guys to go to UTSA. He's going to go get the two-star guys that nobody's looking at and be like, that kid's good enough to play FBS football. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the gamble they're taking, quote-unquote gamble they're taking. But, again, that gamble is what got Gary Patterson so long at TCU, is finding those diamonds in the rough. And to me, that's the question after this year, right? You can you can obviously win when, when you have an elite guy like Frank Wilson bringing in talent. That just needs to be schemed better. Now, okay, now can you go get those diamonds in the rough and then develop those guys? Because that's where their long-term uh, success in their Jeff Trailer is going to be. And that's where I think – I don't want to say the worry, but that's where I think – that's where the, the, the focus, I think, shifts now is that instead of just, like, taking a roster that was talented and making them good. It, just, it goes back to the perspective thing I was talking about with Texas Tech. Yeah. If UTSA goes 8-4 and four next year mm-hmm. – I mean, is the fan base going to be overly disappointed? Right. And if they Absolutely are, not. that's on them to right. be yeah. babies, exactly. right? And yes. I'm saying that as a UTSA grad. Like, you have to keep perspective. This was an all-time year. This was a once-in-a-decade type situation for UTSA. They just need to stay, you know, in that 8 to 10 win range every year and occasionally compete for conference championships as they move into the American. That's a good place to be. That's a fine place mm-hmm. to be. You don't always have to be looking for this next step and this next step and this next step. Yep. Yeah. Sticking with Conference USA, and this answer may have changed a lot uh, from fans, you know, during the midseason. But should Seth Luttrell, the head coach of North Texas, be fired? My name is Mike Craven, and I was wrong about Seth Luttrell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the North Texas football team. I at one and six when I saw that Marshall loss, it was. I mean, was done. I, I was like looking up. What You're the hopping off the train. Yeah. Like yeah. What are the buyouts? What are, What is this possibility? He coached his tail off down the yeah. stretch. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't see how you could even talk about firing him at this point. You get to six and six after starting one and five. Clearly, that locker room is on board. Is it as talented as it needs to be? No. Does the quarterback play have to get better? <laughs> Absolutely. But clearly, the locker room is playing for Seth Luttrell. And if I'm an athletic director, that's job number You're one looking at, at that. Like a G5 level, right? Like, they're yeah. not competing for this. isn't A&M. This isn't Texas. Does the locker room care about that coach do they want to play hard for that coach are they winning conference games he checked all three of those boxes the last six weeks of the season so uh yeah i think he's perfectly secure in his job oh yeah i think so i think that i remember saying like when ren baker got the extension as ad that whatever i I felt that he knew what he was doing with set the trail regardless and i still think so even though that loss i think unless things just unraveled after that marshall game like they only won one game the rest of the year I feel like he might have been staying the whole time. I just mm-hmm. feel like you don't extend an AD and then be like, well, we got to keep the head coach. You know, like you don't – and then switch plans at the last minute to keep Seth Luttrell. I think he was always moderately safe, barring absolute collapse, which, to be fair, after Marshall looked possible. Yes, yeah. so. I think there were a lot of North Texas fans that wouldn't have been okay with that, though. Because, I mean, I was sure. around the environment pretty much the whole season. Oh, no, season, trust me. If they really won three games and, they, that, and he stayed, like – yeah, right after that been. that Marshall loss, I mean, yeah. fans were not happy. You sure. can see it all over Twitter. But, yeah, I mean, that obviously a fan base doesn't necessarily mean, like, if they're mad, that uh, doesn't mean a firing automatically. Right. But sure. I don't think the fan base would have been happy. No, I think, yeah, it. I think three, I, I think he would have stayed if they would have won four or five. Yeah. I think anything below four, and he would have stayed, it would have been pretty bad for the fan. Like, in terms of, like, pretty hard to defend, I would say. Uh huh, so. for sure. We'll move to more general questions now. Um, I thought this one was kind of interesting. Uh, which current high school coach could you see yeah. making a McGuire or trailer jump to the D1 coaching ranks? 
I mean, I think the name that was mentioned in the question, I mean, Riley Dodge, Dodge yeah. yep. is, is is up there. I mean, obviously his dad uh, coached in college. He's a young guy. I think when we're thinking about this question, it's hard for me to think of like older guys who have been at the high school level for a while. Right. I'm thinking kind of young guys who still have the time to kind of yeah. work their way up. So for me, uh, Riley Dodge is a name. Marcus Shavers at McKinney is oh, a name. A uh, DJ Mann at Lubbock Coronado Ooh, is is a name. Yes. Amasha Brantley at at LBJ, the offensive coordinator, is a name. Guys who are young who can recruit and who can relate to kind of the modern day athlete yes. mm-hmm. are kind of the criteria for me. Those are three guys along with Riley Dodge that kind of pop in my head. Somebody who I could see making a jump back would be a Chris Ross at Lovejoy because it wasn't he was at Boise before he came back, I believe. Correct, yeah. right? Yep. So I could see him maybe eventually making a jump back. Somebody who's not as young and as far as right now, no, but a Hank Carter, I think always has that door open. Um, you, everybody, every recruiting guy I've talked to, you said it yourself, the way they run those practices is like an NFL, like top tier D1 uh, uh, college there's atmosphere. Not a, there's not another high school in the state that is is more efficient yes. in practice than yes. Lake Travis. Right. And so I could see, again, not right now. He's, it's, it's probably one of the best jobs in the state. <laughs> you would have to take a pay cut. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but that door is always going to be open for him. So I'd be one, I'd be interested to see him. Um, and then the other one, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Riley Dodge's dad, Todd Dodge. What about Tony Salazar yep. from Westlake? Yep. If you want a guy who knows how to scheme against the modern offense, that defense for Westlake has been consistently since Todd Dodge got there, even more so than the offense, which is what Todd Dodge is known for. That defense has been kind of the the calling card, and I wouldn't mind like if I'm somebody who's like, who? How do we scheme against this? Mm-hmm. Right? Tony Salazar, just yeah. somebody who can come in and you know maybe coach linebackers to start off and then like work his way up. But um, it's always an interesting question because of course Brian Bell from China Spring just got on with uh, yeah. Baylor staff. Um, he was coaching in the bowl game. So, um, yeah, always kind of interesting to see which coaches kind of make the jump um, uh, kind of on a yearly basis now. I saw he was there. I didn't know he was actually coaching. Yeah, he I was think. on the sideline. He, oh, I don't oh. I mean, he was in his Baylor gears. I don't know if he was officially coaching or not. Yeah. He's like a he's like quality, quality control. Yeah. yeah. Quality yeah. Control. Um, I, I'm pretty sure he was on the sideline. I saw him. Yeah, in, he was there. Yeah, I, uh, I saw him in I don't know how much green. he was doing yet. I saw him in like the, 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 the whatever, the, the, not the smock, but the, the uh, uh, whatever. Yeah, the yeah. green tracksuit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he looks like a coach. The, yeah, the coach like outfit. A, right, yeah, you don't, yeah. You don't visit uh, in that kind of outfit. Right, right. You don't, right. don't sit in the stands in that kind of outfit. Unless you pull a Lane Kiffin and you wear a, a hoodie when you coach. Right, you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do about two more questions. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Bearcats. What are your thoughts on Sam Houston beginning their transition to the FBS and their outlook for the next few years at the next level? I mean, have you seen the conference USA they're walking into? <laughs> like, Not too worried. <laughs> let's, put, let's put it this way. Uh, so I, I, I know uh, a few people on the Sam Houston staff, and they're they're recruiting like they're an FBS program right Big now. timer. Like yeah. they're selling <laughs> – Okay, yeah, this yeah. guy. The, yeah, you're calling me a big timer. Um, I, just, I was chilling with Joey McGuire the other day. and <laughs> Anyway, um, so they're recruiting like an FBS program right now, right? They're selling guys on the fact that, hey, we're moving up, right? That we're a program that won, obviously won at the FCS level. We're moving into a conference that we could win realistically in a, real, in a, in mm-hmm. a reasonable amount of time while you're in school this, these next four years. I feel like there's no reason this shouldn't be – similar to an app state georgia southern like instant within two to three years competing for the conference type of transitions um they've already recruited great and now you step that up a level to fbs like it's going to be 
tough sailing for Texas State. It's going to be tough sailing for UTEP, for Rice, for North Texas, to a certain extent UTSA, because they have another option now if they don't want to maybe be a second string or if they're not sure if they'll start right away. Oh, I can go to Sam Houston. Yeah, sure. Why not? I play for a championship-winning coach. Sure. I think on-field will be much easier than the off-field stuff. Fair. I think the yes, transition – they, they yeah. yeah, they do need some I think grits. transition into, you know, facilities, the – you know the department like the the department of athletics needs to grow right mm-hmm. you're going to mm-hmm. need a new sid or more sids more help in that office there's, right. there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes being fbs com- compared to fcs the amount of scholarships you have to pay that's more money that you need all that kind of stuff but i do think the on-field uh, product is going to be better and i do think um that they like you said can really build a niche in east texas as kind of like what smu did in a smaller capacity where like if your first stop didn't work out right. and you're looking to come back home, well, you can come play FBS football here at Sam Houston in Huntsville and not be that far from where you're at. You're probably not, you're not that far from Houston. I was going to say that, that well. Piney Woods, Golden Triangle, Houston right. area. Like, just oh my crush gosh. it on those yeah. kids that like, you know, you, somebody goes to Huntsville or something and nobody knows who they are. You just, you take, you know. So anyway, I, I do think the on-field product will be pretty good. Here's my question. and Maybe it's rhetorical at this moment. Is it easier to recruit to an FCS powerhouse that's competing for national championships than it is to an FBS program that's competing for bowl eligibility? That's fair. Right, and I think that's going to be something we just kind of have to look and figure out. Will mm-hmm. it kind of hurt their recruiting Yeah. that you're going you're trying to be an 8-4, and 6-6 six and six type program compared to one that's going and competing at national championships even if it is down a level? That That's the, that's the thing I'm just kind of curious about as somebody who likes social psychology, right? Like what – what will those barriers be? How do recruits kind of look at that? It'll be something, uh, a kind of a taste, uh, ca- uh, case test mm-hmm. done out there by Sam Houston. Sure. And we'll go ahead and end it with this. It doesn't have to be a super long answer, but I thought this was interesting. Someone asked, which games in 2022 excite you the most? Now, I, I took a couple down, wrote a couple down, so go if you want to hear mine. Um, first off, I, th- I saw that UTEP will be playing Oklahoma next year. Oh. I think that'll be f- Interesting to see. Uh, I don't know about fun, but um, <laughs> fun for Oklahoma. I was about to say, Brent yeah. is starting off his tenure. Really yeah. nice. <laughs> I know. Um, Texas Tech and Houston play again. Yeah, I think that'll be a fantastic game. I'm really excited to see that one. That's a fascinating one. Yeah, number, I'll, I'll number one on my list. Yeah. TCU at I was just that was my next one that was my next one September 24th. I I say we all go to that game. Can we please go? I I've already asked. Rick Hart, the athletic director, therefore, like, I just need a spot. Right. Right. Like, right. I, I'm going to be at that. Yeah. One. We, uh, all, we, we always give SMU trouble for never selling out. That game's a sellout. Yeah. That, <laughs> no. that, that game's as close for to sure. a sellout as they're going to be. That game's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, UTSA and Houston play to start the season? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, and then UTSA plays Texas, too. Yeah. So I'm that'll not as be excited about that yeah. one. But <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? UTSA versus Houston is going to be <laughs> is gonna be a good one. Um, and then <laughs> third on my list, AM at Alabama. Yeah, okay. I saw it. Because, yeah, I mean, Nick Saban and Alabama, right? Like there could be some. I mean, that one, and you know, and A and M just put their, you know, they got the best recruiting class in history, according to twenty four seven. There's going to be some dudes on the field, but like, so as like a a fan of recruiting and a fan of high end talent, (laughs) yeah, that's going to be really good. And then you add in the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Texas A and M beating them the year before. Now it's in Alabama. That one's going to be must watch television. How about this? I have one more. Um, Actually, I'll mention one that I have one more to hit hit on. SMU North Texas. Fascinated to see how that one goes mm-hmm. early in the year, mm-hmm. right? Who knows how both teams are going to be at that point. Future opponents, conference. Yeah. Speaking of realignment, last game of the season, Baylor at Texas. 
potentially Texas's last game in the Big 12, of course, barring the, if uh-huh. they make a championship run. Does Baylor kick Texas out the door in Austin? <laughs> Goodbye, good riddance, kick you out the door of the Big 12. Because 23 is kind of that year that everybody's kind of penciling in mm-hmm. to be the one where they leave. So, I don't know. I saw that was the last game, and I was like, ooh, that is good. Yeah. So, do you want my weird conspiracy theory of the week? Go for it. <laughs> I think Texas is probably going to not join the SEC until these kids that ain't them just signed are gone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like Texas is like when is Harold Perkins? When is Connor? Yeah, when is Connor no. Wigman's eligibility up? <laughs> we will join the next year. You know, yeah. Harold Perkins is like, oh my god, that yeah. guy's a linebacker. It's like, okay, god. so 22, 23, 24. We will be there in twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. They're redshirting Quinn Ewers. What's happening? Walter (laughs) Nolan? Absolutely not. Oh, man. That's a scary class. When's Bryce Foster graduate? He's 24? That's fine. (laughs) If Reuben Father is on the field, we're not coming. We're not going to be there. That's that's that. I, when they signed the class, I started thinking about that. I was like, okay, so when will those guys be gone? Yeah. Because Texas doesn't want the first game to be. Cause, oh, Because oh that's the thing, right? Yes. There's there's going to be this weird jockeying behind the scenes yes. of like who's going to be the first one to host it. Yes. Who, who all this kind of stuff. And in theory, if we just look at, I know recruiting rankings aren't everything. I mean, Texas fans can attest to that as much as anybody. But sure. you're just looking at this on paper, and like, say they play their first game in 2024. Right. Well, like you look at the roster builds. <laughs> And, like, they're not even – I mean, that's a 10-point spread yeah. right there in a rivalry game, right? So, if you're UT, I just think behind the scenes you're kind of thinking about yourself, like, okay, <laughs> when do we have to be ready for this? Right. And can we postpone it until Evan Stewart and Denver Harris are no longer on game? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's fair. I would – I don't blame you at all. Um, by the way, yes, we do know that AM signed one of the best recruiting classes of all time. Uh-huh. Um we will be talking about that probably during uh, at the end of the signing cycle because there's still some signings to be made. So we'll have a, a, a proper signing show. We might have Greg Powers on. Who knows? Um, but that's why we haven't really touched on it that much now because um, there's plenty to talk about, but there's also plenty more signings to be made. Um, as and, I mentioned. and we need February content. And we need absolutely yep. February content. So we're going to milk. All of it. <laughs> Talk. We're going to give everybody yep. a signing day show. No, I'm kidding. We'll um, also be doing post-mortems of each yes. uh, FBS Texas school on Texas football today. We'll yes. probably do those on Thursday. So mm-hmm. if you guys want to hear an in-depth analysis of each. Individual, yeah. Individual, yeah. Even Rice and Texas State will do those mm-hmm. too. Um, <laughs> yeah, tune into Texas football today on Thursday because we'll be probably aiming to do those. Yeah. So that'll Thursday. do it for us. Thank you for the questions, by the way. Um, like I said, if you, uh, if you want your questions answered later on, on down the line for another mailbag follow us at yeah. dctcfb on twitter uh follow mike craven mallory hartley myself ishmael johnson like rate review subscribe all that stuff on apple and spotify uh really helps us in the algorithm and we just had our uh, kind of our yearly recap meeting of all the all the numbers and all that and it was a really good year for all of our podcasts so keep supporting us we thank you guys and we're glad to be back We'll be doing a weekly show, no longer two uh, two per week now that the season's over, but we'll be doing a weekly show now. And uh, as Mike Craven said, we need content. So I don't know what we're doing next week, but we'll figure it we'll out. We'll figure it out. We're, we do this for a living, so yeah, we'll exactly. figure it out. So we'll see you guys then.